0: Welcome, I'm Anastasia Glova bringing you the Cato Daily Podcast. Full and edited versions of our podcasts are available on our website at www.cato.org. Nearly a year ago, the Supreme Court ruled in Kelo v. New London that privately owned property may be seized for commercial development. The decision caused an outrage among Americans, leading some states to pass laws restricting the use of eminent domain. Today's podcast is a phone call interview with Pacific Legal Foundation staff attorney Timothy Sandifer, who has written a book published by the Cato Institute titled Cornerstone of Liberty, Property Rights in 21st Century America. Is private property a privilege or a right?
1: Private property was originally believed to be a natural right of all human beings by the American founders who based that view on John Locke and expressed it in the Declaration of Independence and in the Constitution. But what happened was, beginning in the the late 19th and early 20th centuries, the progressive movement replaced that vision of property and of all rights with the idea that rights are all just privileges that are given to you by the state for the government's own purposes, and they can revoke these rights whenever the government decides that doing so would be in the public's interest. The famous progressive Justice Louis Brandeis said that in the interests of the public, private property and other rights must be, quote, remolded from time to time to meet the changing needs of society. You know, remolded is a wonderful euphemism for deprived. And that was the notion that the progressives brought to the law, that rights are all just privileges. And so private property, of course, was one of those rights that has come to be seen as just a privilege that the government can grant or deny at will.
0: And you think courts and legislatures have betrayed this fundamental right? Certainly,
1: certainly. In in things like land use planning, for example, you know, originally people would have believed, certainly the founders believed, that if you own property, you have the right to do with it pretty much what you want, as long as you don't hurt anybody else. But today, a landowner is not presumed to have a right to use his property. He has to go get permits and approvals from all these government agencies, you know, environmental restrictions, building code restrictions, view shed restrictions that prohibit you from building a something that blocks a view. There's architectural design review where bureaucrats choose whether you can build a house in a certain design or style just based purely on their own aesthetic taste. So government has violated people's property rights in all sorts of different ways. And of course, the most notorious one recently, is the abuse of eminent domain to take people's property and give it to other people that bureaucrats prefer.
0: Now, you've written a book about this. What have you discovered in the process of researching this book?
1: Oh, it's remarkable the number of ways and the different styles of government interference in private property rights. It's not just things like eminent domain abuse or land use restrictions that are oppressive and take away the value of people's property without paying them compensation for it, but things like uh, like. Asset forfeiture laws in criminal law, in the context of the drug war particularly, where government can seize private property that is suspected of being involved in a crime even without bringing the alleged perpetrator of the crime to trial because the lawsuit is considered to be against the property and not against the owner. So the owner, the police think that he's committed some sort of drug-related offense. They don't even have to try him, let alone convict him, before they use the power of asset forfeiture laws to take away his car or his, his home, his airplane in one case government deprives people of their private property all the time. And and in those asset forfeiture cases, of course, they can keep the property. The police department can actually keep that property and sell it to maintain their budgets. And there have been attempts to rein in these kinds of abuses by passing laws restricting these police departments from doing that. But most of these laws have been very ineffective. So these kinds of abuses continue in all sorts of different areas of the law. And primarily, it's because of the cultural aspect of this. Like I said, in the beginning of the 20th century, Intellectuals adopted this idea that property is just a privilege, and unfortunately, that idea has permeated throughout American culture to such a degree that we cannot solve these other problems without really addressing that primary fundamental principle.
0: Legislators face strong pressure to create jobs, and the use of eminent domain allows them to do just that. When they invoke eminent domain, are legislators acting against the public interest?
1: Yes, as they certainly are. There's really only one thing that is in the genuine public interest, and that is the protection of everybody's individual rights. Everything else is not in the general public interest, it's in the interest of some people at the expense of others. In Kilo, it was in the interest of the Pfizer Corporation and the developer corporation and, and the city bureaucrats, but it was at the expense of Suzette Kilo and the Derry family and other neighbors. And that sort of thing is not in the genuine public interest. You know, James Madison wrote a letter to James Monroe during the ratification of the Constitution in which he said that there's no principle that is more liable to be misapplied than the idea that the interest of the majority is the political standard of right and wrong. Taking the word interest as meaning ultimate happiness, in which sense it is qualified with every necessary moral ingredient, the proposition is no doubt true. But taken in the popular sense as meaning the immediate augmentation of property and wealth, nothing could be more false, because it is always in the interest of the majority of every community to despoil and enslave the minority of inhabitants. It is only replacing force as a measure of right. And that gets right to the heart of this problem. The idea that the majority has the right to take away somebody's private property and use it for whatever the majority or their elected representatives think is in the public interest is the real problem.
0: But it's hard to argue that severely run-down areas would not benefit from commerce and new funding. Is redevelopment possible without eminent domain?
1: Oh, certainly it is. In fact, Seattle just recently redeveloped an area of its downtown without using eminent domain. There's a very good research report on this that was done by the Goldwater Institute and is available on their website. The 91 Freeway in Orange County, California was built without eminent domain. Disneyland was built without eminent domain. The idea that you can't do redevelopment without eminent domain is silly. You said earlier that commerce is necessary to fix these rundown areas, and that's absolutely true. And that's the thing that needs to be done to fix these rundown areas is to lower the tax burden, decrease the regulatory obstacles to to entrepreneurialism, and make it easier to start and run businesses in these areas and increase the protection of private property rights. These bureaucrats don't realize or don't seem to recognize that protecting private property rights is absolutely essential to a functioning and successful economy. And their solution to a run-down economy is to violate property rights through eminent domain. They pass these statutes that declare this area blighted, which means that they can come in and condemn that property at any time. Well, who's going to invest in that area now? If you invest in it and open up a shop, it could be stolen from you by the government. For example, Ahmad Mesdak's cigar store in San Diego, where he went into this area and he built up this wonderful, fancy cigar store, and the city came along and took it away and tore it down, and it's a parking lot now, and they're going to build a hotel there. If the government would stop declaring areas on the target list for eminent domain, I think you'd see a lot more redevelopment in these areas by private industry. But the bureaucrats simply assume private industry won't do the job and that they have to get in there and make the city nice. And that's really not their role. And without attacking that principle, without attacking the cultural assumption that government is the engine of economic progress, you cannot address the problem and stop the government from abusing our private property rights.
0: This has been Cato Daily Podcast. Thank you for listening.